Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day all right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods? Fickle butt. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And with that, we welcome you in to a Saturday morning edition of Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Frank. You can find me and all my gambling picks at Undercover Greg on Twitter. Joined by one of my co-hosts this morning, uh, Bill Christie. You know him as at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter, where you can find all of his picks. We're going to go through the college basketball rotation as it is the final day in February. February the 29th, leap year 2020. And so we will run through all the big games on this Saturday. Conference tournaments getting started in the mid-major conferences in about a week. March will be here in 24 hours. Can't wait for the best month in college basketball. Bill, how are we doing? Oh, we're excited. Always looking forward to March, specifically this year. It seems like there's so much parity across the board this country. Um, you know, anybody can really take the title home this year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to March Madness and, and some really, really good games leading up to it in all these conference tournaments. Yeah, and, and I mean, I know that this tournament has always uh, prided itself on its parity and why I think it's the best postseason in all of sports. But I think that's even more highlighted now when we've seen a record number of number one teams in the regular season and uh you know maybe it's the year of the mid-major with San Diego State having the year that they've had Dayton just won the A-10 outright regular season title so uh there's a lot of unknowns we're going to talk about Michigan State later on they've been they were the heavy favorite in the preseason and they've been disappointing so uh it's difficult to really get a feel I feel like at any point in the year maybe Baylor before they lost to Kansas last week but Bill like at any point in the year could we circle a team and say that's the definitive best team in the country? 
Mm, I don't think so. I think the team that probably had the longest stretch at one was was a Gonzaga at one point. That might be right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, I, I'm I never ever 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 buy into Gonzaga any year. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I don't care if they're one from start to finish. I, I can never pick them to win a title. Oh, well, no. I certainly hope you're wrong this year. I took them at eighteen to one before the season started to win the title. Uh, actually, gave it out on this podcast, and I was just thinking, basically, you get. And then if they win the WCC, you're going to see them on the one or two. And how often are you going to get a one or a two seed at 18 to one? So, yeah, uh, sure. you know, and, and also, you know, I, I don't always like doing this, but I feel like with the Gonzaga, a team that you, you kind of know there's not going to be a ton of public support for, kind of like to ride the narrative of, of, well, you know, we saw Virginia kind of finally exercise the demons. Maybe it's Gonzaga's turn to finally do the same thing this year. Yeah, it's fair enough. It could happen. Let's get into it, though. Let's talk about the Saturday rotation in college hoops. Uh, Bill, you're going to start with the MAAC. It's Niagara and Iona, uh, and you like the side. Yes. Uh, I'm going to be going with the home dog here, Niagara plus three. Uh, Iona, they're only 0-2 as road favorites, um, but Niagara at home, in very similar point spreads, we're talking like anywhere from a two-point spread to a five-point spread as a dog at home, they've won their last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven against the spread. Um, anywhere, again, from, from two to, I think it's six points, and they've won them all outright. So, I mean, I'm not saying to take the money line. I always still like to take the points, even though it's just a one-possession uh, sure. point yeah. spread there. But... Uh, Again, Iona isn't be, has not been great. They only had two times they've been on the road as favorites. But, I mean, seven straight at home as dogs outright, I can't deny it. I would probably have to go with Niagara in that game. Yeah, and, I mean, like, I'm not going to lie and act like I have a ton on Niagara and Iona here. But um, I, I do think that, like, you bring up something just strategically when you talk. We're talking about – and we're going to talk about a lot of short lines here uh, just in some of the games that we you know, we looked at. Um, how do you determine that? I mean, we talk about taking the points if you like the dog versus, you know, playing them on the money line where you'd get a plus price. You know, conversely, if you like the favorite, you know, do you ever lay the price or, or always lay the points? Like, how do you weigh that sometimes when you have a, a three-point line in either way or shorter? Yeah, to be honest, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of taking money lines um, as a dog just because if I think if I look at it and I say – I took the, the dog money line 20 times. Um, how many times is it going to hit, and how many times is it going to miss but still cover the spread? I mean, I, I hear people talk about buying points all the time. I'm not a big guy. Well, I don't buy points. points. Yeah, I, I like but, to sell points. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, like, you've seen it come into play a lot, right? And you always feel like it comes into play when you, when you didn't do it, when you didn't buy the point and you lose by the hook, whatever it may be. <laughs> sure. um, so I don't know how much value I really see in taking money lines when I like that. Um, because again, if, if, if I was to take Niagara money line and not take the points at all and they lose by a bucket, I'm going to be sick because right, why would right. I take those three points? I'm not paying yeah. extra money for those at three that points. Point, They're there. You're paying standard use to take the points and if you're getting cute taking the price, like maybe you're making an extra, you know, 25 cents, you know, it's not right. this drastic change. So I, I do hear what you're saying. I think sometimes though, um, We've talked a lot some on this podcast about high variance sometimes, mm-hmm. and, and, and in certain cases, you know, you look at some of these short lines and think, well, and maybe this doesn't necessarily apply to Niagara and, and Iona, but you think, well, you know, if this team's going to cover, it's probably going to be an outright win because you don't necessarily see them in a close game pulling through. So I think sometimes you can look at those short lines like that, but I think generally speaking, if, and obviously three is much more key in football, but if you're going to give me three – you're going to give me a bucket, then I tend to side with you if I'm on the dog. And, and, and if, the, if, I'm, if I like the favorite, then I like to think I should be confident enough to lay the points, right? I mean, like, at, at that point, like, yeah. if I – go ahead. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it depends a little bit only because in basketball, how many times do we see it where you get backdoored, right? Like, you're given, you're given three points, say, right, and, and your team – up by four and you sure. know, there's only a couple seconds left, and, and that, that dog just fires up a three, it doesn't matter, and drills it because nobody's right. defending it. It's like, do I really want to have to deal with that? So you, you, will say, you, you want to be confident. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's very rare that I'll play a money line. 
Understood. Gotcha. I want to keep things moving, though, with the rest of our picks on this Saturday. And no disrespect to Niagara and Iona, but I'm going to take us, I'm going to, take us to the Big 12, uh, where I'm intrigued by the game today in Manhattan between the Kansas State Wildcats and the Kansas Jayhawks. And by no means um, are these two teams on equal footing, and the point spread certainly indicates that. Kansas, 11.5 point road chalk, total of 131 here. Uh, but I am more, more interested in And I actually like the Wildcats uh, in the first half. Uh, and the reasoning here is pretty simple. Uh, and they're actually, as we record this um, on a Friday night, you're listening to this on a Saturday morning, we just have full game lines out. But I can tell you I will be on Kansas State. I'm going to guess six and a half would be what this first half line comes out at. I'm going to hope to get six and a half. For the Wildcats at home, revenge spot, even though Kansas State is obviously much further down in the Big 12 standings, I think this is very similar. I love to play these rivalry dogs that are kind of out of it and, like, their season isn't going anywhere. Like, I was all North Carolina at the beginning of the month against Duke at the Dean Dome, and they covered that full game number, should have won the game outright. And it's really simple, right? This is the season for Kansas State at home against their arch rival, just how at home against Duke was the season for North Carolina. And I think often we spread just based off the records and what's going on in that particular season. And obviously that's how the lines are going to be made. But at the end of the day, you're going to need, you know, the, the, I think it's, it's easy to see that team towards the bottom of the conference standings in the in-state rivalry game kind of circle the wagons, rally the troops, and treat the game like it's the national championship. And as I said, I'm not playing full game. I think Kansas could certainly run away with this thing. Kansas State, 1-5 against the spread full game in the last six, and they did lose by 21 in that brawl game in Lawrence. Uh, but as I said, I just think for the first 20 minutes, Kansas State can keep up here, and I'm probably going to be getting more than two possessions. I like Kansas State in the first half. Yeah, I, I kind of like that play. Um, I am probably the worst person to talk to about a Kansas game at all. I think if I take them, they screw me and they don't cover. If I go against them, they blow an opponent out and cover. No matter what I do with Kansas, I feel like I always lose. Um, but that being said, good news for you, Greg, looking at it. If I'm looking at the trends, I'm leaning a little more towards Kansas. Obviously, it'll be more full game. I wouldn't look at it so much as the first half. Um, but they're 6-2 and two on the road as a favorite. And Kansas State being a home dog, they're only two and three. So I would tend to lean towards Kansas full game. Um, but I can totally see what you're saying about the first half. Uh, we've talked about it, me and you, before, how these these teams in the big conferences who really had down years, who have really nothing to play for towards the end of the season, they do start to rally those troops and take these in-state rivalry games as their national championship, so to speak. So I could totally see Kansas State coming out um, and keeping it close in the first half, but in the second half, I would definitely think that Kansas is going to start to pull away, like you had mentioned, and and really put them away early in the second half. Um, yeah, and one last thing, just from an intangible standpoint, and also why I like it in the first half, I think historically, if you follow college basketball, you know that this has been one of the hardest places to play, not just in the Big 12, but in the country. And, you know, so again, while this is not the best Kansas State team by any stretch of the imagination, I think the crowd comes out here, and again, I think it's going to be a raucous environment, which also lends itself towards why I think the Wildcats can at least start well. Real quick note on Kansas. Like I mentioned I am, not, I am not a fan of Kansas whatsoever. I'm not a Bill Self fan either, um, and not just because I feel like I lose on either side of them, but I'm just not a fan of them in general. Um, I was looking at some stuff for the tournament coming up, and I was looking at the last, uh, I think it was 11 years for national champions, and what these teams all had in common. So, real quick, national champions, 10 of the last 11 years, there was a top seven offensive team, there were a top 20 defensive team that had at least one senior that was impactful on the team, they had a really strong point guard play, and they had a really clutch player. I looked at all that this year, and guess who that team is? Kansas Jayhawks. Kansas Jayhawks. So, as much as I can't stand them, yeah. um, looking at, look at that criteria, I'm like, they are the only team. They, they're top seven offense. They're top 20 defense. They have Azabuki, who's an unbelievable senior player. They have a really strong sure. point guard, who happens to also be probably their most clutch player. So, I, I really tend to believe that they're going to be the team that make that deep run. I don't like doing that and calling that early, especially when they're number one in the country right now. I just don't like to have that number one team as my pick for the national champions. But if you're asking me right now who my national champion is going to be, 
I hate to say it, but I think it's probably going to be Kansas. Certainly plenty of time before we have to make those decisions set in stone come bracket time. Uh, let's keep things moving. Let's keep a uh, rotation going here. Uh, so I'll go, I'm going to toss it back to you, Bill. Uh, pretty intriguing game in the ACC uh, in Charlottesville. The Virginia Cavaliers hosting the Duke Blue Devils, and I think we've really seen Virginia, and you know, there's a reason Tony Bennett's one of the best coaches in the country. He's got his team playing uh, much better, and, and, and by no means are they the Virginia of last year, but uh, the bubble talk has quickly gone away on the Cavaliers. They're catching three in the hook at home against Duke. We mentioned this. I mentioned this is a game that I could find myself on as well, total 125.5, uh, but you're looking to the home pup again. Yeah, I am. I'm looking at the home, home dog again, and then you mentioned the total there too. That kind of tells me a little bit that oh, that's a good point. This is going to favor Virginia, right? Like, yeah. if that total was in like the 130s, 140s, I'd say okay. It looks like that you know Vegas thinks that Duke's going to be able to put them away, and, and they're right. going to be racking up the points on them. Right. This is a Virginia team who just recently, right? They held Virginia Tech to 11 points in the first half. We all know <laughs> that they have a phenomenal defense, but I mean that that's incredible. I don't care who you are in Division One to be held to 11 points, especially in a power conference. That's absurd. So not to say that Duke is Virginia Tech, but Duke has not been that great away from Cameron Indoor. Oh, game, yeah, it's been right? No, I mean, they're three and six on, on the road, and they're out and four. 11-point chalk against Wake on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can't trust Duke at all on the road. And like you just mentioned, Virginia seems like they've really figured it out recently. Tony Bennett, again, a phenomenal job doing what he does. He's a system-type coach where – he just gets these athletes to come in there, and they all buy into playing hard-nosed defense, driving people insane. And, you know, they're not the greatest offensive team, but they get the job done. So when I'm looking at this matchup, and like I mentioned, you know, how the struggles that Duke had on the road, um, again, you had mentioned they lost outright as 11-point favorites to Wake. Prior to that, they had lost to uh, NC State by 22 when they were favored by 6. Um, you also mentioned the battle against North Carolina. They were favored by seven and a half. They only won by right. two in overtime. And prior to that, they were double-digit favorite against Boston College. And they only did won you, by. Did eight. you mention the Clemson game in there? I did not. No, you're right. Another one. So, right. I mean, all signs to me point to Virginia in this one. Um, and I know I just said that I am not a big money line guy, um, but for some reason, something's telling me that you know the four points probably isn't going to matter. I think the, I think Virginia's going to win this game outright. I think that at the end of the game, you're going to see Coach K walking over to shake Tony Bennett's hand um, for that half a second that he's notorious for doing now when his team loses. <laughs> um, you know, and Virginia just just piling on and, and being the team that we expect it in a way to be, and you know, heading to the ACC tournament on a high note. Yeah, I, and I'm with you in terms of the outright win for Virginia because I think if, if you look at and again going back to the total when you have a low total and this game is in Charlottesville on the Virginia campus then it all winds up to where this is just this suffocating Virginia defensive performance and let's face it like the Duke teams not just this year but just of years past really ever since Coach K went full into the one and done they've been a lot yeah. more run and gun you know score a ton of points and, you know, uber athletes that he's recruited. So it, they've been playing a lot more higher scoring games. Again, I don't have data to back this up in the Coach K era, but just a hunch here that over the last, say, five, ten years, they've been scoring a little bit more than some prior Duke teams. And I yeah. think that this game is going to be a lot more low scoring. Then it's just hard to think that Duke is going to be the team that wins 50-47. to 47. Right, and you had mentioned too, right, they're all, not all, but majority of these guys are one and done at Duke. They're all young players. I mean, young guys hate playing defense, right? right. So <laughs> it's not only not only the fact that they are going against a tough defense, but on the other end, even though Virginia doesn't score a ton of points, they milk the clock, and they make those guys work so hard on their defensive end right. that I can just see these guys getting frustrated, and God forbid if anybody on Duke gets in foul trouble they're going to be in some serious trouble. You know, they're not going to be able to really go as deep as they want to go on that bench to bring guys in because, look, the guys that are starting on Duke are high-level scorers. So sure. the guys that they're going to bring off the bench, they're not going to be able to do anything that the starters could do. So, I, again, I just feel like everything points to Virginia in this game, and that's where I want to go. Yeah. No, I'm with you for sure. And uh, certainly, as I said, a game I could find myself on uh, as I kind of finalize my plays uh, before I put my card out. Well, I'm going to keep things moving in the ACC. I'm going to stay with a game that starts earlier in the day 
uh, and, and certainly a lesser profile game, uh, but still kind of intriguing from one team standpoint, and that's the Notre Dame Fighting Irish visiting the Wake Forest Demon Deacons uh, and Notre Dame laying two and the hook, a short road favorite. And we're seeing a total of this game right now sitting at 150. Uh, this number has actually been bet down. I booked it. Actually, I, shame on me. Did not book it yet. I took a note on two and a half, but I'm seeing one and a half now on Wake. And I agree with that move. I like Wake here. Uh, and it's really not necessarily because of anything on Wake. Well, I'll get to that a little bit at the end because I want to talk about how that Duke upset kind of factors into the handicap here. But I more or less just think Notre Dame's kind of phony. We've talked on this podcast before about how the ACC is not having the year that it's had, uh, you know, or a year that we're known the ACC to have, you know, in the last decade. Uh, I think there's a clear line of demarcation in the ACC standings, too. And, 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 and most bracketologists, I think, would agree with me here. After Virginia, I think you're going to see a line and, and a clear drop-off. And, and yes, NC State may squeak into the tournament, but I think you got Florida State, you got Virginia, you got Duke, um, and you got Louisville. And after that, um, I, I, this conference just dips in, in a pretty cataclysmic way. Uh, Notre Dame, as I said, 18 and 10. And yes, if the Irish keep winning, could they play their way onto the bubble and make things interesting come the ACC tournament? It's possible. They're fifth in the in the conference standings right now. Uh, but let's look at some of their recent games. Uh, these games are all in February, and then they also played Wake at the end of January, which I'll include here. Most recently, they won by one point against Colorado Road in a game that they trailed by double digits in. They did not cover as five-point road chalk. Before that, uh, they last Monday, so almost two weeks ago, they trailed by double digits at home to North Carolina, ultimately won that game by one, had to come back, but again, did not cover. They were laying four. Lost a one-point game in overtime against UVA, 50-49. to They did cover, but they were a five-point dog in that one. Won a four-point game on the road at Clemson. They were a two-point favorite there, so an uh, even smaller cover for the Irish in that one. Won by eight at home against Pitt. They were a six-point favorite in that game. Won by eight at home against Georgia Tech as six-point chalk as well. And then, as I mentioned, they played Wake at the end of January, winning by 10. They were nine-point chalk. So if you get my drift here, all these games are falling right on the number. And Notre Dame is winning a lot more of them than they're losing. I think that's hard to sustain, especially some of the comebacks that I mentioned, double digits down against the road and against um, North Carolina at home. This game is in wake. And so lastly, I'll just kind of come full, come full circle here. You know, traditionally you think, oh, bad team, Wake Forest off of an upset against Duke, fade on the next game, maybe a little overvalued. I actually kind of think with the game being in wake, you might see a little bit more juice, home crowd, maybe a little more involved. Hey, we just beat Duke. Our season might not be going anywhere, but maybe these guys are worth coming out and worth watching uh, in the final couple home games of the year. So I think that's a little intangible factor when you're off of an upset in college. If that next game is at home, I actually think it's interesting to play that team again. Uh, but that's not the you know thesis of my handicap necessarily. A lot of it is, like I said, Notre Dame. I just think at some point you play all these close games, you're going to lose one. I am taking the points, though, because I get two and a half here. And as I said, they've been playing a lot of really close games. So I like the Demon Deacons plus two and a half. Yeah, I can, I can see this one. I'm probably not going to have a play on it, but um, everything you were saying, Greg, I pretty much tend to agree with. And then when, I'm just going to take the other side of it. Uh, you were mentioning all the reasons why Notre Dame uh, has been playing all these tight games, and, you know, they're, they're squeaking some of them out, but, you know, like you said, it's only a matter of time before it goes the other way. And I'm looking at Wake. Um, you mentioned the Duke win, obviously, but then they were also home against Carolina getting two. They won by 17. They were home against Clemson getting two. They won by 12. So, like, same kind of thing on the other end, but they're actually not just having close games. They're close spreads when they're put out there, but they're actually putting teams away at home. So sure. I can totally see Wake putting uh, putting a win together here against Notre Dame at home. Um, and like you mentioned, how it was a huge win against Duke, and you know sometimes it comes over value. But the fact they're at home, another thing is the fact that it's a weekend. I mean, you got to figure that you know the, the, the crowd, the, the student section is going to be pretty much behind it. You know, they're going to have right. some time to tailgate in the morning and get out there and. <laughs> I, I could totally see it. I could totally see it. So I would, if I had to put a lean out there, I'd definitely put it with Wake. Um, probably not going to have a play on it. But, yeah, I, I would definitely lean Wake on this one for sure. Uh, we'll get back to you in a minute, Bill, but I just want to wrap up our ACC picks because I have one last pick on Florida State and Clemson. 
Uh, we were texting about this one, and this just has Trapper written all over it. I like Clemson plus three and a half. Florida State off the big win against Louisville, you know, and we talked about teams off big wins. Well, here we have a Florida State team that all of a sudden, you know, they're going to get the double bye in the ACC tournament now that they have those two wins over Louisville. And I talked about that line of demarcation in the ACC. So Florida State, I think in a weird way here, while, yes, like you could argue seeding, you can never really lay down. I think this is kind of cruise control here for Florida State, right? I mean, you just win for the second time of the year against Louisville. And before that, they beat a bubble team in NC State. Um, I think they kind of maybe take this easy in a way. Uh, and, and Clemson, another team kind of further down in the conference standings where you look at it and say, well, here you go. Like, you might not make the NCAA tournament, but home game against the, maybe the best team in the conference, you get a chance to beat them on your home floor. I certainly expect Clemson to be fully motivated. And as I said, I think Florida State maybe just takes the foot off the gas. And then if for nothing else, just line just feels really funky. You think off of a big win like that, you'd be seeing Florida State as like eight, nine point chalk, but only three and a half really makes me like Clemson. No, I'm with you. Because I was looking at it earlier too, and you had Clemson's coming off a loss to a lowly Georgia Tech team, right? They lost by nine to them. Sure. And they right, also lost. Right, and they also lost to Florida State. I think Florida State almost beat them by 20. So the fact that the Lions makers are putting this out this low, this time of year, too, where it seems like Florida State's really around in the form, Clemson has been – I mean, they're, they're very comparable, I feel like, to Virginia Tech. Like, they have ups and downs. Like, they have some good wins and they have some terrible losses. Like, you feel like you don't know what the, where you stand with them at all. Um, so, yeah, when I saw that line, it, it did not make much sense to me at all. And initially I was thinking, you know, maybe it's just off. Maybe, like Matt will say sometimes, you know, sometimes Vegas giving out free money, but – <laughs> I, I, I really can't. I really can't see that with this game. I really think um, I, I'm looking back right now. What's that? So you pass? I probably pass, but I'm just going back real quick on. Me, we were all texting. I said before these lines came out, the projection of lines. Where I was trying to guess what the lines might be. And I'm looking back, and I had Clemson as a seven point uh, dog. dog. You know, they, they're they're cutting it in half on us. Yeah, I'm, I would have to definitely go with Clemson in this one. There's no way I'd be touching Florida State. Because if I did, I could totally see this game starting out in the first half. Florida State's down by 10 early. They start to come back. Clemson bangs at three. You feel like Clemson's just finally going to, like, not be able to hold on. And Florida State's going to pull away, and which they might at the end. They might pull out the win. But I don't think they're going to cover this one. Yeah, and, you know, one last thing, just kind of a generic conversation to have regarding a game like this. And I think it also maybe applies to your uh, – Duke Virginia game. When we see lines like this, where you know you have a, a a team that would, and maybe more so Duke in terms of public support, um, you know, and it just looks so funky and so out of whack. Like, is that something where you you think you can wait because obviously the public is going to veer towards the road favorite there? So that's something where you think you can wait. Like, do you think? that nowadays in college basketball there's enough public support for these teams where if you want to get the best of the number on the home dog, like you can wait and this could tick to four, four and a half in the case of Clemson or Virginia or just in general when you have a game like this? So I would say yes and no. <laughs> I'd okay. say yes because if it does go the way you're saying, the public stays on you know the Blue Blood program in Duke and the Lions makers start to tick that line up a little bit, yeah, I'm going to take those extra points. But let me flip it around. If the public on Duke, and I see that line. I'm more excited personally if I see that line go from four to three and a half and three and a half down to three, because that's just telling me I'm. I'm that's the first line right. movement, yeah. Right, I, I'm right then because you know when it starts to take the other way, I tend to get a little bit nervous because it's like, all right. But my question was focused. more or less like the timing of when you get in. Like, is this something like we're talking right now on a Friday night, and mm-hmm. everybody's listening now on a Saturday morning? Like, is this something where, okay, if you like Virginia, or if you like Clemson against Duke and Florida State. You'll bet, because I think both are three and a half right now, you'll bet the home dog three and a half right now, or you'll hope to wake up tomorrow to see a four or four and a half? In terms of the line being funky, right? That's what we're talking about, not just any line. We're talking about the ones that doesn't seem right, correct? The ones that, correct, the ones that right. don't seem right. Where you so think there's going to be a lot of public support for the favorite, could it drive the line up enough where there's value in waiting, or are you just trying to get in the first time you say it? That's my question, really. I, I typically will wait just to see. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking to see the opposite. I'm looking to see if that line drops because um, I, I don't care. If it's, if it's going from three and a half down to three or, or down to two and a half, like, I'm, I'm actually more confident in Virginia 
Sure. And that, and that, and that, you're and that not spot, looking at it from like an, oh, I got a couple more half points here. You're thinking the other no. way. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah, not really, not really. I would not, yeah, I'm big, again, I've mentioned it before, I'm big on uh, reverse line movement, and especially when it comes to a program like a Duke where, you know, you know public support's going to be all behind them. So if the lines makers put this out this low and then they start to tick it down even more, it's like they're just begging for the public to come out and bet even heavier on Duke. Because we've said before, right, lines makers, they don't want a heavy a heavy public on one side and, and you know, and, sure. and, 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 and low money on the other side because, yeah, they just want to collect the right. So, Right. You know, if, if they're going to put that out that way and they're going to take it down more and they're just begging for more people to take take that blue blood program, give me the dog every time in that theory, in that scenario. Yeah. All right, let's keep things moving here. Uh, Bill has a pick in a Pac-12 game. We're going to end with a Pac-12 game as well. And then we got some Big Ten to get to as well. Let's go to the Conference of Champions where we have <laughs> uh, the Utah Utes on the road. Pick them. Against the Cal Golden Bears, total one twenty nine and a half. What do you think, Bill? Uh, I'm going to go with the home team in this one. I know it's a two roads uh, earlier. I'm going to be going with Cal in this one. Cal seems to be a much different team um, when they're at home as opposed to when they're on the road. Uh, and these two teams are really eerily similar in the fact that they only have one double digit scorer on either team. Both of those guys score around seventeen points per game, and there's a couple handful of guys that score seven to nine points per game. Um, but Cal, like I mentioned, being a really, really strong home team, their home record's 11-5. and five. Utah, on the other hand, on the road, atrocious. 1-9 and nine on the road. Um, they're just two different teams when you, when you take them out of their buildings. So I'm leaning Cal, and then I see that the last time they met in Utah, Utah beat them by 15. So the fact that the pick makes me feel like, you know, Cal's definitely going to be able to take care of business at home. It's also senior night. Um, I believe it's also Sharif Abdul-Rahim bobblehead night, so that just makes me <laughs> more to lock right there. So, yeah, I'm going to be on Cal on this one uh, at home. And, again, same thing like we were talking about before. To me, this line's a little bit funky um, just due to the fact that Utah beat them by 15 at home. Uh, so I'm curious to see what happens with this. I'm really curious to see if it ends up being Cal minus one, minus one and a half. Like I said, I'm kind of going to feel more comfortable with that. If I see it starting to go Utah's way a little bit, it might make me back off a bit. But right now, as the pick where Cal starts to become more of a favorite, I'm definitely going to be on Cal. You know, I'll ask this, too, because I look at the Pac-12 standings and, you know, both these teams towards the bottom, Cal 8th and Utah 9th. When you see a pick-em line like this with teams, like, near the stand, you know, near each other in the standings or, or not too far apart, I mentioned Cal being ahead of Utah, but – Overall, Utah a couple games better, 15 and 13 to Cal's 12 and 16. Like, it's going to sound a little square, but like, do you just kind of look at it as who's the better team? Like, and if that's the case, like, do you just feel Cal's a little bit better than Utah despite that 15 point loss? Yeah, I would lean that way too. But then again, I, I look back at it more so with the home court advantage, right? Like, if they're playing that well at home and that and Utah's playing that bad on the road, and they're having it as a pick 'em, they're giving it to me as an even line. I'm going to use that data and, and, and lean that sure. way. So that's the real reason why I'm going to go Cal. Because to be honest, I don't know if Cal really is a better team than Utah because, I don't know, in the Pac-12, I can't figure it out. Like, these teams are a mess all the time. They're all slow. They're all soft. Um, and that's why we don't really see that many Pac-12 teams going and making big runs in the tournament. So I don't know what to really make of any of the teams. But, again, I'm looking at home versus well, Oregon. A couple of years ago, they went to the Final Four. Right, right. With that, well, yeah, with them as an outlier, but the other than that – I don't, I don't ever trust any of the Pac-12 teams, really. Sure, no. I'm looking at my East Coast bias, though. No, I get it. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I'm just looking kind of at the conversation through Oregon. I'm just going to ask you off the top of your head, maybe because I know you're a big college hoops guy, you might know this. Who's second in the Pac-12 right now? Uh, I don't think I know. Uh, is it UCLA? Yeah, it is. Wow. Mick Bruins have really surged. They're on a six-game winning streak. Um, and yeah, that was, that surprised me too. They beat Arizona state the other night and mm-hmm. I saw the standings and I thought, Oh wow. And I thought, and I'm fairly certain they got off to a horrible start, but, um, good for Mick Cronin first year there and, uh, doing a nice job. UCLA certainly looking like an NCAA tournament team. And real quick, Greg, Greg, just jump in here. Sure. Uh, I know we're not going to be talking about this game really. We didn't have it scheduled, but UCLA at home against Arizona tomorrow, you just mentioned number two in the pac twelve. And they're dogs at home? Uh, UCLA is three-point dogs, yeah. Yeah, 
doesn't make sense to me either. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look a little more deeper into that tonight or tomorrow morning. Arizona also lost USC. Yeah. They've lost back-to-back games now, Arizona, having lost to Oregon last Saturday night. So, uh, yeah. yeah that, it doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Certainly that game might be worth further examination. I want to go to the Big Ten. Uh, actually, no, Bill, I'm going to let you start uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, interesting game here in Happy Valley, where – I'm sorry, check that, in Iowa City, as the Iowa Hawkeyes are hosting the Penn State Nittany Lions – my early lean here was on Iowa minus the points at home, kind of just looking at, uh, you know, Big Ten home has kind of been a, a trend that has been very profitable this year. And uh, But then again, like we saw Penn State win in East Lansing. I, I don't know. I have a lean here on Iowa, but I know you have a pick. So where are you going? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm actually going to take Iowa. Um, the, the line did kind of make me a little bit nervous. It seems a little too low than what it should be. Um, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for Myron Jones to see if he's coming back. God knows what's going on with that kid. I wish him the best because I feel like sure. he's been sick yeah. for almost over a month with no real indication of what's going on. Did you end up um, taking Penn State first half against Rutgers the other night? I did not. I pulled off okay. on all. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I pulled off on both of them, yeah. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I like Iowa in this one. You mentioned how strong they've been at home. Um, they're 9-2-2 two two as home favorites. They're also 7-1 after a loss against the spread. So, uh, that kind of data leaning that way. The other thing I looked back at was their matchup previous um, when Penn State had beaten Iowa, and Isaiah Brockington hung 23 on Iowa in that meeting, and he's only had one game over 10 points since then. So, you know, to get that much productivity out of a guy who really doesn't do much the rest of the season, I don't foresee him being able to be a big factor in this one again. Um, and on the opposite side, Iowa, uh, Ryan Kreener, Six ten seniors been playing really really well as of late. Last three games, he's kind of been a difference maker. Um, didn't do much in their last meeting, so I look at him to kind of be an X factor in this game. Um, but like you had mentioned, they've just been so strong at home. Penn State without Myron Jones has kind of been, you know, all over the place. They don't look like the same team. Um, and then I'm going to look back at the coaches too. Um, Pat Chambers is a strong coach. He comes from the Jay Wright uh, tutelage tree. But for McCaffrey, man, he he does so much with so little at times. Sure. You know, they've been plagued with injury bug all year um, and just seem to find a way, albeit it seems to be more at home yeah, than it I mean, does in the well, road. Last, last year, they were a couple of plays away from the second weekend. They came all the way back in that game against Tennessee. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take your lean. I'm going to make it one of my plays. Um, Iowa minus three and a half. Uh, and, again, I don't I don't foresee this being – we know Luke Garza is going to get his buckets, right? Like We know he's going to do what he wants to do, arguably the best player in the country. Um, I was going to say, is he your national player of the year? It's tough. It's tough. Um, I probably lean towards Toppin, but – I mean, Yeah, and I haven't seen Toppin play too, too much, um, but I, I just uh, – I don't want to give it all to Garza. I don't know what it is. It could be because uh, I'm so tired of seeing guys like him um, do what they do in college. (laughs) Right, right. And then they go go to the pros and don't do anything. It's like, you know, to me it almost makes it feel like the player of the year in college isn't that meaningful because those guys tend to not really shine too much to the next level. So it probably is some of that bias with it. But uh, I can't deny it. The guy's been an absolute beast this year. he dominated Penn State last game, even though, albeit a loss, he still put up his, his points. So, yeah, he's been playing strong. So, hopefully he continues with it tomorrow and helps us with this three-and-a-half-point uh, line. Let's go to uh, – I'm going to stay in the Big Ten, actually, for what's probably the biggest game of the day. Uh, and I am going to go to College Park. And I like the short home favorite, the Maryland Terrapins, laying the two in the hook against the Michigan State Spartans. We talked about this on, uh, what was it, Tuesday we were recorded. Uh, I just think Michigan State is being priced like a national championship contender still, and maybe they are going to, you know, they did win even though they didn't cover against Iowa. Like, maybe they are going to turn a flip the switch here. I mean, there's still time for Michigan State because the Big Ten is the gift that keeps on giving as far as, uh, you know, if you're looking to prove yourself up against the rest of the country, it's obviously the best conference in America. So you're going to get plenty of chances. Michigan State still has, after this game, uh, you know, they play at Penn State, which was a kind of a revenge game for them there, and then they host Ohio State. So And then you have the Big Ten tournament. So there's a lot of opportunities. I just think at a certain 
<laughs> when do we say this team just did, ha, didn't live up to expectations? I mean, right now they're sitting on the four or five line. And, no, you get you get you start getting past the three seed, and it, 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 it gets difficult to pencil yourselves into the Sweet Sixteen. So I think. It's entirely positive. It's been a kind of year for them, where every time you get a read on them, they you don't have a read on them. And just to look at their February, and I think this illustrates my point. They're three and three straight February, but one and five against the spread. They're being consistent, obviously, with the three and three record, but they're being priced like a team that people think can win the national championship and not covering even when they're winning games. That doesn't necessarily apply to this game fully because. They're a dog here, but as far as the inconsistency, coming off of an eight-point win against Iowa, it's not. it hasn't been the type of season for Michigan State where I can just trust them to get the momentum going and say, aha, here's the Michigan State team everybody thought. And every time that's happened, they've let you down. So I'm not uh, inclined to think that this is the spot, even though it is probably the biggest game of the day. I like the guards better for Maryland. I know that the uh, you know guard play tends to win this time of year. You could argue you'd rather have Cassius Winston over Anthony Cowan, and I'm not going to necessarily dispute you, but give me Anthony Cowan, Aaron Riggins, Aaron Wiggins, excuse me, and Daryl Morsell over the bottom of the backcourt for Michigan State. We've seen them kind of rely on Tillman and Aaron Henry for their secondary scoring. So I think that uh, you know guard play this time of year always tends to reign supreme. I think Maryland wins the battle in the backcourt. Maryland won this game by seven as seven-point dogs in East Lansing earlier this month, which again kind of proves my point where Maryland is first in the Big Ten, kind of looking like the class of the Big Ten even, and they were seven-point dog at Michigan State. Um you know, and they won that game. They come back the way they did against Minnesota. So I think that even adds to the juice that we're going to have at College Park. Uh, a lot lines up for Maryland for me and, and not nearly as much for Michigan State. I like the terms. Yeah, Greg, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know if I'd actually gonna be putting a play on this one at all, but just listening to you talk about all the reasons why Maryland should be the play here, and I get Michigan State's been inconsistent, and I know that – how you said, you know, it seems like they're all of a sudden getting their momentum and they take a bad loss. And it also seems like they're kind of getting overpriced as well. Like, why is it only two? Maryland, you said, just beat them by seven in East Lansing. Now they're home. They're coming off that big comeback win against Yeah, Minnesota. and I guess that's the argument, right? Like, yeah, what did we see in the last two weeks that warranted a nine-point switch? Like, it couldn't just be the home court. If you're betting Michigan State, that's the argument. Right, Exactly. And then look at the schedule, and you mentioned it, right? They're on the road here in Maryland, and they go on the road to Penn State, and they're home against Ohio State. They have just beaten Iowa. They beat a lowly Nebraska team before that after losing to this Maryland team. I'm an Izzo guy. I'm a fan of his. I think he's one of the best coaches sure, in no, I college too. basketball. And, again, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, this isn't the first time we've seen this with this team, you know, this with this program. They, they tend to kind of underachieve when they're supposed to be really, really good. Um, and kind of people start to write them off because they have some early losses. Now, granted, they have some really, really bad losses in, in the middle of the season this year, but this could be the time. Again, I am probably not going to play on this. Um, if I had to, I'd probably lean Maryland, but this just looks like it could be the spot where, you know, Izzo looks at the team and says, look, guys, we lost to this team prior, you know, at home. We're going into their house. Then we have to go to Penn State, then we're home against Ohio State, and then we have our conference tournament. So we need to create some momentum here. So I feel, I feel like if there's going to be a statement game for Michigan State, it's going to be this one. It's on national television. It's at a top-10 team on the road. I could definitely see Michigan State making that happen. But all that being said, again, if I'm going to make a lean, I'm going to be with you, Greg, and I would take Maryland. So it sounds like, though, just in terms of like handicapping Michigan State the rest of the year, you still think the ceiling for them really hasn't changed in its national championship? As long as Tom is a coach there, it won't change for me. No. I, 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 it doesn't matter how good the losses have guy, but, like, we've also seen them have some really suspect losses under him, especially recently, in the tournament. Middle Tennessee, Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not saying they're done, but I just think we've seen enough now where – I just can't keep giving them the benefit of the doubt. But correct me if I'm wrong. When those when those losses happened in the tournament, were they underachieving going into it, or were they, you know, 
having decent years prior That's to. That's fair. Yeah, I'd have to look back at the specific seasons because, I mean, they could still end this year as a three or four seed. And I know they were a mm-hmm. three seed when they lost to Syracuse. They were a two seed when they lost to Middle Tennessee. Uh, so, yeah, that's a fair point. I, I'd have to really dive into the, the seasons and, and think about it a little bit more. But I, I don't think 10, right? We're talking about the best conference in, in the nation, arguably. So, you know, some of these losses, they're all in conference. So you kind of kind of yeah, think it was a great because, you know, again, as, as high as you have for this team, game. yeah, they're, they're playing really tough teams every single night in conference. So, But I don't know. Like, I, part of me then says, like, Okay, if this is the heavy favorite to win the national championship, the way they were, I mean, it, it, they were preseason number one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, was there a team priced even closely to them for national championship futures back in November? I don't think so, but I mean, I, I, I might just be different. I don't take any account to what preseason rankings are, because especially in college basketball, where but they were bringing everybody back from the team that went I, to the Final Four last year. I, I totally get it, but so much changes. Not just not so much their team, but all the talents coming in on other programs, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah, so fair enough. I, it's really hard. Again, I, I get you. Look, I'm a big Nova guy, and I've been saying this all year. They overachieved all year this year. This will probably be the year where they make a deep run because next year is their year. I mean, they're going to be bringing everybody back right. with, with the exception of maybe Robinson and Earl, which would be awful um, sure. if he decides to go early. But, you know, that's the same kind of thing. Like, you, you think it's going to be their year, but you don't really know, especially with how we just talked about at the beginning of this podcast, how there's so much parity across the country um, in college basketball, where you, you really don't know what's going to end up happening at tournament. So to, to go by what the preseason uh, touts are putting out there and saying that you know, we're projecting these guys to be national champions, you don't know. We don't really know until the season really comes to an end, you know? Yeah, that, that's very fair. So, uh, anyway, I do like Maryland enough to make it a play for a unit, uh, so I'm going to go with the Terps. Bill, I think you said you like the total here. You just mentioned Nova. Um, let's go with the Providence Friars visiting the Villanova Wildcats, and um, obviously uh, Villanova, I know it's a very different team, but uh, it, it looks like they're kind of starting to, to really turn a corner here, but it all kind of seems to be gelling a little bit more for a, a very new-look Nova team. So just how do you see the Wildcats and what's your play here? So when I initially looked at the game, I saw the line was only seven, kind of thought that was a little odd. I think I had 11 as my uh, projected line, and then I realized Gillespie's questionable. So that's definitely okay. being put into account because, you know, he runs the whole – he runs the team, you know. Um, it seems like he's got that Jalen Brunson in him where it looks like when they really, really need a bucket, he's comfortable back in his smaller guard down in the post and taking that fade away um, in the middle of the lane to, to get that bucket. Um, so he might not be playing. So if he's out, uh, I don't know how well Nova's going to be playing, even though they're at home. Um, but an interesting thing that I was looking at after I saw that line was – the, the total and Villanova um, has played the under 16 of the last 21 games. I thought that was remarkable for a team that seems to be very, very proficient on the offensive end. They, they people forget how well they played defense and they're holding teams below their averages. And even though Villanova is scoring, they're doing it efficiently. They're not, they're not just going up and down the court as fast as they can. You know, they're running sets. They're being, they're being, uh, methodical about how they're scoring their points. Um, and then on the other side, Providence, they're five and five of their last eight have played on the under. So 137 and a half, I look back at that as well. Every time it's been around that number for Villanova games, it's going under. So I like the under here, especially if Gillespie's out. I like it even sure. more just because, again, like I said, if any team's going to be putting out the points in this game, you feel like it's going to be Villanova. And if Gillespie's out, don't get me wrong. They, they're deep enough to where they can still get the job done. They can totally still cover the spread. Um, who knows? They can even blow out this Providence team at home. Um, but I really do like the under here. I like the trend that it's, that it's headed in, um, and that's going to be my play. It's going to be under 137.5 in Villanova. Yeah, and, like, I'm already seeing some 137s out there, so it looks like the market is moving in that direction. Um, and, yeah, at the end of the day, like, you know, player I didn't mention there, Sadiq Bey is having a good year for Villanova, but can he score that much more to where you compensate for goal? He's out, uh, then I certainly see where you're going. Yeah, and I mean, Bey's been doing that all year. In my opinion, when he is playing at his ceiling, he's the best player in that conference. And I know that they have Marcus Howard. I know that there's Miles Powell. But Sadiq Bey, in my opinion – 
could be the Big East Player of the Year if he plays wow. consistent basketball. Because he, he can do everything. I mean, he can defend one through five. He can handle the ball. He can shoot from deep. He can go in the post. He bangs the boards. He does yeah. everything. And it's just like I feel like he kind of gets lost in the show because there's such a good team that, like, you know, not he's not the one guy that's carrying them kind of like how Miles Powell sometimes has to carry Seton Hall sure. and Marcus Howard has to kind of sometimes carry Marquette. They really doesn't have to do that too often, but in games where they've needed him to, he stepped up to the plate. So, yeah, I think he kind of flies under the radar. Another guy on that team that also flies under the radar um, as a blue guy is, is Samuels. He's another guy that can kind of guard one through five and do it all. And whenever they need a big bucket, too, I know I mentioned Gillespie using that Jalen Brunson type move, but I feel like Samuels is always in the corner and knocking down threes when they need him sure. to. So, again, I know I mentioned Kansas probably is going to be my pick for the, for the national championship, but this, this Villanova team, has really rounded into form lately, and I, I believe they are playing the best basketball on both ends of the court right now in the country. So I look for them to make a deep run in the tournament as well. Listen, I know we forgot uh, last time to mention Creighton, so I just want to throw them out here in this Big East conversation. Uh, I don't believe they play today. At least I don't see them on this rotation I'm looking at right now. Um, but, I mean, Tyshawn Alexander, another guard that is really having a great year. Him and Marcus Zagorowski for uh, – Creighton averaging over 16 points a game, and, and they got some shooters there too. So um, I, it, it, this is a good league. I mean, I, I think it's probably the second-best conference in America. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, again, I don't, I, I don't want to say that they could be, could be better than the Big Ten, but uh, I think they're very comparable. And this Creighton team that we're mentioning, I know, again, we forgot to mention them during our last pod, but they have the potential – to win the regular season conference championship, right? Uh, they're game behind. That's right. They just Hall? won at they just won at Seton Hall, and they right. played them again. So that and they don't play. I mean, they right. play. Yeah, they play St. John's and Georgetown. St. John's Sunday and Georgetown Wednesday, which is nothing. And, and Seton Hall does not have an easy schedule. They probably have the toughest schedule. They're, they got Marquette tomorrow, then they're home against Villanova, and then they're at Creighton. So, you know, for all those Seton Hall Pirate fans out there that are, you know waving their flag and saying how they're going to take the Big East. I don't really see that happen. I could totally see Creighton coming in here, sneaking out, and getting the conference championship. We'll see what happens come the conference tournament. But the regular season, I think it's going to be Creighton. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's fair. And, and it's interesting how, I, I mean, not to give ourselves a pass here, but it does feel like Creighton kind of, to a certain extent, out of nowhere here. I mean, I think in the Big East, everybody's going to look at Villanova, and we knew that Howard was coming back for Marquette. We knew that Powell was coming back for Seton Hall. You know, and, and there you have Creighton, I think at least, they snuck up on some people this year just with how good they've been. And ditto for Butler, but Butler started the year really well, uh, so I think that they were kind of on people's radars a little earlier. Uh, and another senior guard from our Baldwin. So, um, you know, this is, it, as we said, guard play this time of year always seems to win out. Anything else in the Big East before we end in the in the Pac-12? Uh, real quick, I don't know if I want to make us a player yet, a player or not yet, but um, I know we just mentioned it, right? We have Seton Hall, uh, Marquette tomorrow. I do like Marquette. I just like the way they've been playing recently. Uh, Marcus Howard looks like the Marcus Howard that we expect him to be playing. Seton Hall as. early is this like a team that like dips down into like a four thirteen five twelve and loses before the second weekend? It, it, it's definitely a possibility. I just, I'm not a big uh, Kevin Willard fan. I know people like to think that he does all this great uh, adjustment work at halftime, but you know, as good as a second half adjustment coach he might be, if you need to make all these adjustments all the time in, in the second half, something's not right when you're coming out, out right working his first right. half, right? Exactly. And as good as Miles Powell can be, he also at a lot of times is probably you know that that team's worst enemy because he takes some of the worst shots that you can take early in shot clocks where, you know, you have other players on your team, the guys that can really play. You have, you have Quincy, you have Amu. Like, if, you, if they get those guys involved and, let, and he lets the game come to him more, I feel like they're much more productive. But when he tries to force, they get in trouble. And, and I can really see that happening because, to me, if I'm looking at this game, um, not so much from a handicap perspective, but as, you know, as a former coach and looking at it in that, in that way, I feel like Miles Powell, the way that he plays the game, he is going to take this as a personal match against Marcus Howard. And I don't Howard, see Marcus yes, Howard yes. plays that way. You know, Marcus Howard likes to get Which, everybody involved. Right. So I, I really feel like if, if – But from a handicap perspective, then that would lean you towards Marquette, like you said, right? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Right. But that's not the only reason I would lean Marquette. 
Um, like I just said, I feel like Marquette's just been playing overall better ball. Um, and Seton Hall kind of, like you said, kind of peaked a little early. Um, and they have that really tough road coming up, Seton Hall. So Marquette might be – Marquette probably is their easiest matchup coming down that stretch. They could easily be looking ahead to Villanova and looking ahead again to Creighton, who's right behind them on their heels um, of the, of the uh, regular season conference championship. So I like Marquette in this spot. I like them to sneak up on, on Seton Hall a little bit. I really think the first half is going to tell us all we need to know. If Marquette's sure. beating them at halftime, i got a feeling it's over. As well as they make adjustments, I just feel like Marquette's going to put them away. We saw how well Marquette played in the first half of their last game. Um, and, again, it wasn't just Marcus Howard. It was that entire team playing well. So I lean Marquette. I'm likely going to make it an official play, but – um, like I said, for those reasons, that's probably where I want to go. I want to wrap things up now with a game that we both like, uh, and it is out west in the city of Angels, the USC Trojans hosting the Arizona State Sun Devils. Uh, USC, a three-and-a-half-point home favorite, total of 142-and-a-half in this one. Uh, and I'll start on this. I actually do like the total more for my pick. I'm going to go under the 142-and-a-half. Uh, first thing, right, I think this is something important to consider. Anytime you're looking at a short line, uh, both for side and total purposes, if we're thinking a short line, you're thinking close game, and you're maybe thinking some late game free throw shooting. Well, I looked at the free throw percentages for both teams. Arizona State, 244th in the nation in free throw percentage. USC, 302nd in the nation in free throw percentage. That's out of 353 Division One programs. So, obviously, if we have things late, these are got, uh, teams that just don't shoot well. Already strike. Uh, so that in and of itself is enough to make me like the under. Because just, you know, in looking at totals and the way that we – and this is also true for sides, but with the way that the lines lay themselves out, you know, if you're new to – Excuse me. If you're new to betting halves and, and you normally just look at full games, you might think, oh, well, this total is 142 and a half. You know, divide 142 by two. First half total is going to be 71. It doesn't often work out like that. The first half total is probably going to be a little bit lower than that 71 because some of this free throw shooting can be built into the full game total for the reasons I'm talking about with the late game fouling. But I think in this case, you're seeing that built in. Uh, in some cases, unnecessarily, if you have poor free-throw shooting teams. So that is a, an important factor, why I like this under. Uh, and then also, final score when these two teams met earlier in February was 66-64 to 64 for Arizona State. So, um, you know, that right there, you know, added up, that's 130. So I think we're getting some good wiggle room here. If they can play a similar game, we still got 12.5 points to work with on that. Um, and... You know, as I said, I think uh, close games like this, USC is sitting right on the bubble. I watched the end of that USC-Arizona game because I was on the Trojans. USC, that was an ugly game. Neither team really shot the ball well. You know, and, and I forget what the final score was. I'll look it up now. But it was it was ugly for the Trojans, and they just kind of uh, hung on, and, and they did not shoot well in, from the foul line at the end of that game. They just happened to have a big enough lead. 57-48. to 48. The final, score, the final score for USC to win. Uh, if I'm looking side, I might actually lean towards Arizona State just because they won the last matchup, and this feels like a little bit of a bubble tax on Southern Cal, laying three in the hook at home. But I'm going to pass the side. I'm curious where you are where you are at on the side, Bill. But as far as total, I go under 142.5. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to be going with where you were leaning at. I'm going to be taking the, the road dog here with, with Arizona State. Um, Bobby Hurley's gotten these guys playing really, really good basketball now. They're seven two and one as as dogs. They're four one and one as road dogs. Um, so they're they're accustomed to playing on the road and they're doing they're doing a good job of it. Um, and they also won seven in the last ten. So it's straight up. So it seems like that they're these guys are really around in the form heading into the conference tournament. Um, whereas USC, they're middle of the road home favorite team. They're six and seven. They're also three and five. Their last eight games straight up. Um, and you had mentioned, you know, they, they played that, you know, ugly game against Arizona. They had lost previously at Utah. They lost at Colorado. Uh, Colorado's a decent team. Utah, not so much. I know they're tough at home, but still. Um, and they look at Arizona State in their last games. You know, they, we just watched them the other night uh, lose the UCLA at the buzzer um, on that deep three. And to push, that's why they had that one push as a road dog. Um, but then they beat, you know, a decent Oregon State team, you know, with a tough game in the one-by-one. Um, they beat a really good Oregon team. 
They beat a very good Cal team that plays at home well, um, and they also played a good Stanford team that plays at home well. So, look, I like Arizona State on the road. I think that they kind of get a little less value for some reason. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised if this game came out of the pick. So the fact that I'm getting three points from it, I'm going to definitely take the three points. Um, yeah, I, I like I like the Sun Devils here on the road uh, at USC. There you have it. That's a final wrap on our picks coming right up on an hour into the pod, so we don't want to bore you any more than that. Hope everybody enjoyed this Saturday edition of Full Slate. Bill, um, look following, looking forward to our next one, and uh, best of luck on this Saturday. Same to you, Greg. Enjoy the day. There you have it. Again, it's been a Saturday edition of Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Everyone, enjoy your weekends, and of course, please, play responsibly. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.